So when you get invited to a Christmas party, there's a few things that you need to know before you can say yes. You need to know who's throwing the party, when is the party, and will you be required to wear an ugly Christmas sweater to this party? Depending on how those questions get answered, you may or may not have a sick kid that night. <laughs> now, if we're being really honest, there's one more bit of info that you would love to have as you consider that invitation. And the bit of information that you would love to have is this. Who else was invited to it? Now, here's why we want to know that. Because truth is, if you're like most people, then there are lots of people that you would love to party with, but there are some people you want to do nothing with. <laughs> There are some people, if you're like most people, a handful of folks, who for you, they are a source of pain. They're a source of frustration. They're a source of anxiety or just plain annoyance. There are certain people in your life that if you know they're going to be in a particular place, you will rethink your going to that particular place. Now, now, the reason I bring that up is because today we're continuing a teaching series that we're calling Christmas of Another Kind. It's our Advent series, helping us prepare for and appreciate Christmas and as we continue this series, I have a specific question for you, and the question is this. What if rather than avoiding certain people or pretending things were fine with certain people, you made a choice this Christmas to make peace with certain people? Now, I want you to be aware that you are not alone in having people in your life with whom there is this broken peace. Broken peace abounds all over the place. We all have difficult and dysfunctional relationships. Sometimes it's broken, uh, and there's a petty reason at the center of it. Sometimes there's a really traumatic and horrible reason for it. And other times, you can't even remember the reason for it. All you know is that it's weird between the two of you. In the Christian worldview, the, the fact that there is broken peace all over the place is one of the major fallouts of, of what we call sin. The reason the peace is broken in relationships is because of sin. Now, what we say when we talk about sin is essentially this, that, that the human condition is so dysfunctional, so warped, that it ruins everything. And part of what it's ruined is that now what's part of life is this pattern of peace-breaking there's broken peace between individuals. There's broken peace between nations. There's broken peace between races and classes of people. It's all over the place. Now, to be sure, there, there are some people who experience more of this than others. Uh, there are some people who, because of their own deep wounds, I think, they, they seem to be like walking peace breakers. Everyone they know, every person they touch, eventually becomes an ex an enemy, or a villain in their story. And maybe you know somebody like that. Every relationship they touch, the peace just gets broken. But this morning, I don't want to talk about them. I want to talk about the rest of us because we, we all have culpability in this. We all deal with this. We all have broken relationships. We're all sinners. So on that note, let's do a quick inventory. Where and with whom is their broken peace? in your life. Where and with whom is there broken peace? It may be as simple as there is this relationship in your life that is not as it should be. Not as it could be. It could be and should be marked with joy and love and trust, but for whatever reason, it is most definitely not that. 
Where and with whom is there a broken piece? Now, now what happens is this, this broken piece between individuals and nations and classes and races of people that, that we see all over the place, this broken piece is, is, is so ubiquitous. It's so all over the place and touches everything and so difficult to try and deal with that what we end up settling for as human beings is faking peace. Because there's so much difficult, broken peace, we end up faking peace. And, and I can't blame you. I do it too. I mean, who among us loves confrontation? I mean, who here rolls out of bed and is like, man, I, I just hope I get into a fight today? Or, or, or who rolls out of bed and is like, you know what? I really hope I get to deal with the most difficult and draining relationships in my life today in the most awful way possible. Like, if you actually love dysfunctional relationships, I hate to say this to you, but you might actually be the one bringing the dysfunction to the relationships. <laughs> so what most of us do is, in an effort to avoid the pain of the broken peace that's around us, we, we become experts at faking peace. And that's how many of us live a lot of the times when it comes to all the relationships that are kind of not what they should be. We become experts at faking peace. We become experts at saying, we're fine, it's okay, putting on a smile, sweeping it under the rug, however you want to talk about it. Some of us have been told that this is a good thing to fake peace. Some of us have been told that it's a godly thing. Some of us grew up in peace-faking families where there was a whole lot of terrible stuff going on, but you were never allowed to talk about it. I mean, no one ever told you not to talk about it, but you just kind of knew we don't talk about it. We don't mention the bad things. We don't deal with the bad things. We all just kind of stand up straight, put on a smile, and we fake the peace. Some of you have gone to peace-faking churches. Families are guilty of this. Churches are guilty of this, where something terrible will happen in the family of faith, and like nobody ever mentions it. Nobody talks about it. Or what typically happens is something horrible happens out there in the world that, that Jesus probably has an opinion about that his mercy and grace probably speaks to, but you'd never know it on a Sunday morning. You come in, something terrible's happened out there in the world, but for whatever reason, it never gets talked about or wrestled with here. We're just pretending it's fine. Life is fine. God is good. All is fine. Smiles everywhere. We're faking peace. Maybe you grew up in that home or you went to that church. But let me ask you this, like really honest question. When it comes to faking peace, like how well does that work for you? I mean, are you, are you really satisfied? Is it working for you to have unresolved tension with your coworker where every time you see her, it's just so weird? Is it really working for you, the fact that, that your spouse really hurt you, like they really, really wronged you, but you've never talked about it, you've never addressed it, you just pretend that it's fine, even though you're carrying this deep wound, this deep hurt, you never address it, you just, you fake peace. Peace has been broken, and now peace is being faked. And, and it's never going to change. Are you really honestly okay with that? Is that somehow better for you? Now, the good news is this. If you are not satisfied with a fake peace in important relationships, Christmas offers you something different. The, the promise of Christmas is this that God himself has entered into our world of peace-breaking and peace-faking, and he has initiated this era of peace-making. That, that's what the promise of Christmas is. 
Again, look at the promise of the, of the angels to the shepherds when they appeared in Luke chapter 2. Let, let me read this again. Suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host. That's a, a giant, innumerable number of angels. Heavenly host praising God and saying, what's their message? Glory to God in the highest and on earth, what? Peace. The arrival of Jesus is the arrival of peace to a world where it's often broken and easily faked. Jesus brings the promise of peace. Christ arrives to make peace in two directions. We often only emphasize one, like he's here to make peace in this direction between us and God. He's here to make peace to us with the Father, and that's certainly true, but he's also come to make peace through us. Notice the message of the angels is that there is peace, not between God and man, though that is true, but it's peace among mankind. He arrives to bring peace in two directions, this way and this way. He comes to fix the problem of our broken peace with the Father through his life, death, and resurrection, and then to begin the repair of peace among us as a people, one to another. Listen to how the prophet Isaiah says this in the second chapter of his book. He's looking forward to the someday arrival of Jesus and the peace that he will bring. Listen to what he says. He, the coming Messiah, Savior, King, he shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many people. He's going to bring peace in all relationships. And they, having received peace from him, they shall beat their swords into plowshares. They shall take their weapons of war and they shall dismantle them, they shall beat them, they shall destroy them and remake them into something that brings beauty and life. Having found peace with God, God's people, FYI, you and me, God's people will then turn toward one another and seek real peace, make real peace with each other. What's important in that text is it says that they, meaning us, we will take the weapons that we use to wound one another in our broken relationships, the swords that we use to keep the peace broken, and we will hammer them, dismantle them, and destroy them, and repurpose them into something that can make peace. Now, if you're kind of following with me, you might be saying, okay, Matt, like there's, there's broken peace among us, like there's broken peace between us and God prior to the arrival of Jesus, like I'm kind of following with you and, and having received peace from God, we then, we then dismantle our swords that we wield with other people and, and that keep us in a place of broken peace. Okay, I'm kind of following with you, but, but here's the thing, Matt. I, I don't have a sword or a weapon that I wield in my broken relationships. Yeah, you do. You do. It, it's, your, it's your anger. It's your hurt. It's your right to feel wronged. And I don't want to undermine the right that you have to feel wrong, but what happens is we carry that and we hold it in our hands and we wield it like a weapon. We strap it to our side and then we wield it in that relationship with every roll of the eyes, with every harsh word, with every awful thought, with every complaint that we speak behind their back. We are swinging that sword, we are fighting that battle, and we are keeping the peace broken. And look, I know that, that you've got that weapon, you've got that sword, and you wield it for good reason. I know you think that, I think that too. But here's the thing. 
if, if peace is ever going to be made, fostered between you and that other person, someone is going to have to go first in setting their sword down. And if you are here as a baptized, forgiven follower of Jesus, guess who Jesus says gets to go first? You. You. Now, the really like, amazing, beautiful, awesome thing about Jesus is that he never, ever asks anything of us that he doesn't first do for us. I'm going to say that again. Jesus never asks anything of us as his people that he doesn't first do for us. Think about what he has accomplished for us. We're going to get theological here for a second, but you seem like a really quick crowd. We can figure this out, okay? Stay with me. So, so think about what he's done for us. When, when sin entered the world, our collective relationship with God got all kinds of broken. It got all kinds of sideways. We went running from God, and then we got rightfully punished by him. Mankind went running from its creator, and because we went running headlong into evil and injustice and all the horrible things that we collectively are culpable for, God then rightfully punished us. And the punishment for the broken peace between us and God the Father is one thing. The punishment is death. But read Genesis. That's the curse that comes because of our broken relationship. The punishment is death. The sword, the weapon used against us rightfully by a holy God against an unholy people is death. That's the sword that God rightfully wielded on humanity for all of our evils, all of our injustices, for breaking apart this peace. Now, now here's the key. When the time for reconciliation came, when the time came to fix the relationship this way, when the time came to make it right, what did God do? Did he look at us who had wronged him and say, you made it wrong, fix it, make it right? No. What's he do? He, he sends himself. He sends his son. He, he sends his son into this world. He sends his son into this world, and his son dismantles the weapon. His son turns the sword of death into a plowshare. His son, Jesus Christ, dismantles death by putting himself underneath it on the cross suffering it, draining all of its punitive power out of it, and then rising out of death on Easter morning and declaring death itself to be dead, and then he gives that victory to all those who follow after him. I've taken the sword, I've taken the weapon, and I've turned it into a plowshare, that which was judgment for you. Now, now through me, I give life to you. The message from Jesus to you and to me is this, that sword has been set aside. Death is no longer punishment. It's no longer a moment of judgment leading to an eternity from God with whom you've broken peace. No, the relationship is right and now death is something that we pass through into eternity to rest in what? Peace with God. Jesus made a peace at great cost to himself for us with the Father and he invites us who have received that into a life of peacemaking, peace forging with others. Now, if you look at certain relationships in your life and you say to yourself that you are in fact tired of, 
of peace breaking and peace faking, are you then willing to take up Jesus' call to peacemaking? Now, you may be in a place where you say, yeah, I'd love to make peace with this person or these multiple people in my life. I would love to do that, Matt, but, but I've been so hurt And this sounds so difficult, and it sounds so risky. I don't even know where to begin. Let let me just affirm all of that. You have been hurt, and this is really hard. And it does carry with it a certain risk, and it can be difficult to get going in this. I'll admit to you that, that peacemaking in the way of Jesus will look like losing to the rest of the world. When you put down your weapon, when you turn the other cheek, when you refuse to give them the cold shoulder, when you treat them with the dignity that they have not afforded you, the rest of the world, your friends, your family may look at you and say, what, what, did you lose to them? Are you giving up on this fight? Don't you remember how they hurt you, what they've said about you, what they've done to you? It'll look like losing to the rest of the world and it may even feel like dying to you. It may feel like dying because you think that that sword of hurt and anger has served you so well, it's protected you. And perhaps in some ways it has. And so setting it aside and saying, I'm not, I'm not going to wield this weapon anymore, that can feel incredibly dangerous and very vulnerable. And not only that, but the person you try to make peace with, they might have nothing to do with it. They may want nothing to do with it, and they might just continue in their dysfunction and reject it, and that will hurt. That will hurt. But what you have to believe is that despite the difficulty, despite the uncertainty, despite the wounds, despite all of that, that that making peace is a better, more beautiful, more, more worthwhile, more noble pursuit than simply giving yourself over to broken peace or faking peace. You have to believe that. Now, if you'd like to do that, if you would like to enter into the work of peacemaking with with one or more people in your life this Christmas season, then I'm going to suggest just a couple of things to you. Uh, This list could be much, much longer. We could talk about this for many, many Sundays. But but if you walk away with anything, if you endeavor to be a peacemaker in certain relationships, I I would encourage you to hold on to these three things. And it has to do with how you view the past and the present and the future. You might want to jot these down. The first thing that you need to do is you need to admit the pain of the past. Now that to you might sound like a little bit of kind of therapeutic nonsense, but it's not nonsense. It's very good. The scriptures are full of the details of how God's people have hurt their relationship with each other and with him. God is very much in favor of naming the pains and the hurts of the past. You need to articulate what went wrong, when it went wrong, who did what, what did you do, what did they do, what's your part in this, do you have a part in this? Articulate the pain, what and how it went wrong. First, do this to yourself. Admit it to yourself, admit it to your God who will forgive you. And then if possible, and I get it, it's not always possible, admit it to the other party. Things went wrong this way at this time and it made me feel like this and I'm just, I'm not, I'm not okay with that. And I know that can be difficult, but, but Steve Cuss, a pastor and an author that I really appreciate, one of the things he says is, when it comes to relationships, that which you don't name, you will never tame. Can you name it? 
The second thing is this. You refuse to wield your weapon in the present. What's the weapon? What's the sword that you are so tempted to swing in this broken relationship that you think protects yourself, but it also just keeps things broken? Is it a cold shoulder? Is it a harsh word? Is it a a distance that you maintain between this person and you? Is it a stream of awful thoughts and terrible grievances that you rehearse in your mind every time you see them, every time you think of them? If you want to enter into the work of making peace, then you make a commitment about the present that when you see them in the present, you are going to do your best to set that weapon aside and refuse to wield it. And then when you you show yourself to be a human and you pick up that weapon and you wield it, you ask for grace and mercy and forgiveness and, and God shows you grace and mercy and forgiveness in Jesus and then you set it back down and you try again. You refuse to wield your weapon in the present. I know it's hard. The third, and this is a tough one, you determine to put the best construction on their actions and their words in the future. The next time that you see them, the next time that you're with them, the next time you hear about them, you choose to frame who they are, what they say, and what they do in the best possible way. You you give them the gift of grace. I, I know that, that they probably haven't changed and maybe they haven't said I'm sorry, that they're probably still the same terrible person that you think they've always been. I get that. I understand that they don't deserve this, but that's what makes it a gift. That's what makes it grace. Do not treat them as their sins deserve. Choose to frame what they do in the future in the best possible light. That doesn't mean you set yourself up to be hurt. Doesn't mean you have to be a punching bag for their dysfunction. It just means that you, insofar as it depends on you, you are trying to be gracious to them and you are trying to give this relationship a chance. And again, I know they don't deserve it, but that's the definition of grace. Neither do you. But we give it anyway. And look, I want to be realistic about this. The scriptures are certainly realistic about this. Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 12. He says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. He says, if it's possible. The implication is, sometimes it's not what? It's not possible. But insofar as it depends on you, you do what you can to try and make peace with this person. And though you may never arrive at it in your heart, in your mind, You pursue it. I'm not saying that if you embrace these three things, all of a sudden that relationship's gonna be fixed. No, peacemaking is not a switch that you flip and suddenly everything's better. It's a road that you walk for the long haul with a particular person. It's an attitude and a posture that you adopt toward a person and you commit to. That's what it is. In the traditional Christian liturgy, there's this moment called the passing of the peace. If you're not familiar with it, it's, it's the, the moment in the service where after the pastor has announced the sins of the people to be forgiven through the work of Jesus, that the relationship this way is full of peace, uh, the people in the congregation, they then turn towards each other, wherever they're standing, they turn towards family or friend or, or complete stranger, and they say a certain phrase. You know what that phrase is? They say... Peace be with you. Yeah, you're, you're familiar with it. It's meant to be a, a reenactment of what Isaiah talks about, where the people of God who have received peace, hard-fought, hard-won peace in their relationship with him, 
then seek to take that out into the relationships with one another. It's meant to follow them into their homes, into their workplace, and into their pews, where having heard of God's peace towards them, they then turn towards each other and they say, peace be with you. Oh, I can't stand you. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. I haven't talked to you in years. Peace, peace be with you. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Yes, yes, I'm still kind of mad, but peace be with you. Peace be with you. In fact, it's really, it's, it's kind of fun, so just humor me. Just turn to the person to your right or to your left and say, peace be with you. Would you do that? It's kind of awkward and wonderful, isn't it? Now, having just done that, I want you to think of those words from Isaiah chapter 9, which talk about Jesus and the peace that he brings. I'm going to put these up on the screen one last time. It says of the peace that Jesus brings, of the increase of his government and of the increase of his peace, there will be no end. Of the increase of his peace, there will be no end. I love that. The increase of his peace will know no end. With those words resonating in your ear, I want you to picture yourself at that party or whatever it is where that other person is going to be. I want you to see yourself in that space. I want you to see their face. See them? Who is it? Think of them right now. Imagine yourself in that room, in that setting. Imagine yourself in that room, and they're in that same space, and you are whispering a prayer to yourself, and the prayer is this, let me not impede the increase of your peace. Let me not impede the increase of your peace. Jesus, it says that the increase of your peace will know no end. May it not end with me. Let me not impede the increase of your peace. See yourself, hear yourself praying those words and then see yourself not demonizing them, not flashing a fake smile towards them, but having received peace from God and committed to having a Christmas of another kind. You set your sword down and you walk towards them. And in your own way, you say to them, peace be with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is so difficult to live out. And yet we know it's so essential and so beautiful. We thank you that, that during the Christmas season we get to remember in such palpable, such, such experiential ways that, that you have gone first in this in sending your son Jesus Christ to his dismantled death and made all things right between us and you. You have, you have fought the fight of making peace with us. Father, help us out of love for you and appreciation of your gift for us, help us to want to and then empower us to actually do the same in the lives of those that we love, to fight for peace, to make peace, to not be satisfied with that which is broken or faked, but to try and make it. Inspire this in us as we look at Jesus and the life, death, and resurrection that he offers to us and in whose name we pray. Amen.